And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved then? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, will, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a, determ- for a denarii a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went about out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. You may be seated. As we begin this morning, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kingdom. Reminded in your word of the prayer that you put forth to your disciples. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I thank you for this kingdom of yours. This kingdom that you speak of in the scriptures. This kingdom that is pressing in upon us. This kingdom that came in the form of the king himself some 2,000 years ago. Oh, Father, I pray this morning in the time that we have that your Holy Spirit would teach us more about this kingdom of yours. That your Spirit would teach us and show us and make it clear to us how we're to live in this kingdom and how this kingdom of yours is much different than the worldly kingdom we're a part of. Father, I pray you would make these things clear. I pray that you would bring clarity to my words. I pray, Father, that those here today would long to live in your kingdom, desire your kingdom, and prioritize and value your kingdom matters. Thank you, Father, for this word. I pray you would do a good work with this word as it goes forth. Your word promises that it will not return to you void or empty, but it will accomplish the very purpose for which you sent it. So, Lord, I just thank you ahead of time for how you will use the word in the hearts and minds of those gathered here this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pictures tell a story of of life lived. And, you know, we have technology today that allows us to be able to watch these slideshows. Some of you are very savvy in terms of your technology and you can take pictures and you can put them into various software programs and you can view a slideshow. I'm somewhat of a novice at all that and I'm probably just good enough to be able to use something like PowerPoint to put it in there and have a presentation. But it is interesting to think about the slideshow and be able just to to watch it. And as you see those pictures come across the screen, and in particular those pictures of your family, maybe it's a slideshow of your time away, a slideshow of a family gathering, and you're reminded of that time as you see those pictures scroll across the screen. I'd like to point you this morning to the scripture and to point out that the Bible has a series of its own slideshows. No pictures came along. I'm sorry, young people. there There were no pictures that came along with this written word. But the written word is filled with word pictures. 
The message of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is evident in the pictures given to us by God himself. Every time you open this word, do you see it as God revealing himself to you? Do you have a tendency to picture in your mind's eye, for example, when you open up to the book of Genesis and you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Can you imagine the pictures showing the progression of God's creation? Or consider the slideshow of Moses and the Israelites up against the Red Sea. Pictures might include Moses with his rod in the sea. The waters parting. The Israelites crossing over on dry ground. And in that tragic picture of the Egyptian army dashed into the sea's rushing waters. Or what about the slideshow of the mighty wall of Jericho? That impenetrable wall. Picture of that wall starting to come down. Picture of Joshua and his, his, his folks. They were marching around the wall each day. And on that last day, they marched around seven times. Slideshow of pictures surrounding Jonah's time in the belly of the great fish. A picture of Jonah being tossed overboard. A picture of a calm sea. And in that climactic moment of the fish swallowing up Jonah. The Bible presents us with a picture of Jonah inside the belly of that great fish. In fact, the entire chapter 2 is really dedicated to his prayer inside the fish. The slideshow wouldn't be of Jonah wouldn't be complete though without the picture of him being tossed back up on the shore. I oftentimes think about that and what that might have looked like. This morning I'd like to provide a slideshow of a different kind. In Matthew's gospel, God has provided a slideshow of his kingdom. In fact, Matthew's gospel highlights Jesus. This is one of the things Matthew's gospel does. It highlights Jesus as king of his kingdom. In fact, a few weeks back, we finished up and went through the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we saw that Jesus is putting forth kingdom way of living. This is how to do it according to the kingdom. In this slideshow of kingdom life, I'd like to show you six pictures. I know I realize that's not very many pictures. If you were scrolling through and having a slideshow, six pictures, that's not very many pictures. But for our time this morning, it'll be sufficient. It'll be sufficient. In fact, we could probably rest on maybe just a couple. But these six pictures all weave together under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. And I hope and pray this morning that in our time, we'll be able to see these pictures in the scripture and see how they're connected one to another under the umbrella of the header, the kingdom of God. Kingdom life. Perhaps this is an exercise that you can practice at home with your family. Piecing together the pictures of God's revelation to man. You know, the word has a story to tell. Has a, has a story to tell to you. It also, as the hymn writer says, has a story to tell to the nations. Right? 
These word pictures abound in the Bible. So kingdom life. Slide number one. We see it here in Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 13. Little children are being brought to Jesus. Little children are being brought to Jesus. After teaching a right view about marriage, divorce, celibacy, verse 13 begins with little children being brought to Jesus. They were being brought that he might put his hands on them and pray, is what the scripture says there in the beginning of verse 13. In Mark chapter 10, parallel account, verse 16, tells us that he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. Luke's account says that they brought infants to him, that he might touch them. There's this idea of of people, most likely parents, bringing their children to Jesus, that he might take them in his arms, that he might lay hands upon them, that he may bless them, that he may pray over them. As I was thinking about the collection of those accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the children coming to Jesus. Doesn't that seem like a great slideshow of pictures? Those children coming to Jesus. Jesus blessing them, praying with them, taking them up in his arms, speaking words of life to them, perhaps. It's a great slideshow of pictures until you get to the end of Matthew 19, 13. If you read the entirety of the verse... But the disciples rebuke them. Listen to what Jesus says in the next verse, verse 14. Because I believe his words reveal much of the kingdom of heaven. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's be clear on what Jesus is saying. He is not advocating that we all are to act like little children. Many of you know. Little children, when left to their own doing. Children, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but this is the truth. When left to your own doing, there's a sense of immaturity. There's a sense of folly that oftentimes results. Jesus isn't saying the kingdom of heaven is characterized by such folly. See, he's manifesting the little child, putting the little child forward in terms of his faith. What we oftentimes refer to as this childlike faith. And you see what Jesus is teaching here should not have been a surprise to the disciples because if you flip the page over one page previous, chapter 18. Let me read, starting in verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's the question. This comes right on the heels of Jesus telling Peter to go get a fish. The first one you catch, there's going to be a coin in there, and that'll take care of you and me. And the question arises after this, who's the greatest in the kingdom? You see, in their minds, there may have perhaps been some ideas, some thoughts swirling. Jesus, are you really the greatest? Or is Caesar, is is there government, is someone else? Who's the greatest? Tell us who the greatest is. That's the question in verse 1. Jesus called a little child to him. set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, the word there is to be changed inwardly. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Some strong words put forth by Jesus. But Jesus has taught already about this. And here we see one chapter later, the disciples rebuking these children who are being brought to him. And Jesus once again saying, For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, one word here about the disciples' role in this particular slide, this first slide we're looking at. You read the end of verse 13, and you're taken back, perhaps, by the action of the disciples. And yet, I believe it's helpful to ask the question, you who are taken back by the disciples' response, are you operating yourself as one of those disciples? Holding your own children back from Jesus. And some of you may be this morning sitting there going, of course not. Well, I'd like to press it maybe one step further. Are you content simply allowing them access to Jesus? In other words, you're giving them an opportunity to see Jesus, to meet him. Or are you diligently pursuing Jesus with them? Two different pictures. One is passive, the other is active. One opens the possibility of meeting Jesus, the other is passionately pursuing Jesus. One includes Jesus as part of your life. For example, this is the Lord's day, we need to be in the Lord's house. But the other includes Jesus as the supreme treasure of life, that pearl of great price. Jesus says, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Let's turn to the next slide. Kingdom life, slide two. We see a wealthy young ruler comes to Jesus. Verses 16 through 30. And if we had time and we could just collect up here on the table objects, possessions that were near and dear to you, myself included. If we just had time, we'd just put them all up here on the table. We'd just compile them up here and just, just keep them up here as we're talking through this particular slide. It would be helpful. Whatever possessions, there'd be some objects. You can think of your own. Maybe write down what are some possessions, some things that you have that are near and dear to you. Things that perhaps you have held on to a little bit too tightly, haven't been willing to release and get rid of. You see, these items are representative of the, of the great possessions that exist even in your own homes. See, the rich young ruler, we're told in the text, had great possessions. But so do you. You see, sometimes we come to this account and we dismiss it because I'm not rich. I don't have as much as this guy had. Surely Jesus isn't talking about me. And we dismiss the whole account. 
I hope that you do not see this text in that light as applying only to someone who has a lot of things or to someone who has more things than you do. That's not the point. You see, the kingdom life is being spoken of here. And the point here is not how much stuff do you have. The point is, does any of this stuff have you? That's the point. You see, early on, this young, rich man, he asked Jesus a question pertaining to, notice the topic, pertaining to eternal life. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, most of you have heard this account. Most of you have read this passage in the scripture. You know the result. And perhaps you sit there and you shake your head at this fellow who made a great effort, by the way, to come to Jesus. Mark's account of this says he ran to Jesus as Jesus was getting ready to go along the road. I immediately want to take opportunity not to rebuke this young ruler, but to praise him. For what, you might ask? For the question. What kind of question does he make every effort to ask? In his haste to catch up to Jesus, the burning question out of the gate is this. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? I'm grateful for this young man asking such a question. Praise the Lord for such a conversation. You see, the question is not about his work. It's not about the daily cultural buzz. Not about his stuff, although Jesus is going to press toward that in just a moment. But initially, Jesus answers his boiling question. You see, the rich man who had great possessions asks Jesus a spiritual question. Life in God's kingdom ought to be filled with such questions. Amen? They ought to be filled with such questions. Are you asking such questions, both of the Lord in prayer and among the brethren when you get together? The reason I bring this up, I want you to see where this conversation goes. It moves. It serves a wonderful kingdom purpose. It's edifying among those who get caught up in the conversation. So much that comes out of the mouth is of the world. So much that gets posted and reported online, it's of the world. It's not edifying. It's lacking in any kingdom purpose. See, kingdom life involves delighting in the king of the kingdom and delighting in the things that matter most to the king. His kingdom is not of this world. Remember, Jesus said that to Pilate in John chapter 18. Look at how Jesus responds to the young man. If you want to enter into life, he says, keep the commandments. And the young man asks a logical question in response. Which ones? And so in order, Jesus gives him... Commandment number six, commandment number seven, commandment number eight, commandment number nine, commandment number five, and then the greatest commandment, number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in response to that, we see in verse 20, all all these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? What do I still lack? At this point, I want you to turn to Mark's account of this. Absolutely. I'm grateful that Mark's gospel includes this. Helps us here. 
In the same parallel account, Mark chapter 10. In verse 20, we see the response. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now look at what Jesus does here in Mark's account. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Pause and think about that for just a moment. Get a picture of that for just a moment. Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and he loved him. And then he said, you see, what Jesus shares with this young ruler from this point following is going to be hard to hear. The spirit behind Jesus' words is captured right here in Mark's account. Looking at him, loved him. We need to understand something about kingdom life here in this slide. Kingdom life is not absent of hard words. Kingdom life involves exhortation. It involves rebuke. It involves sanctification. Being set apart unto the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Being set apart from the old man. Putting on the new man. Which was created according to God. In true righteousness and holiness, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, kingdom life involves sharpening one another according to the standards set forth by the Lord Jesus Christ. Exhorting one another as the day approaches. Speaking truth in love. Jesus looked at this young man and he loved him. He was about to share some things with this young man that would test his heart. Some things that would truly serve. At, he, Jesus realized these things he was about to share, they have been serving as a snare to the man's soul. And yet he loved him. He desired for this young man to value kingdom priorities instead of the world's priorities. Nothing inherently wrong with possessions. Let's make sure we're clear on that. But when your possessions have a grip on you, whatever it may be, whenever it causes a stumbling block in your relationship with Jesus Christ, perhaps these words of Jesus to the young man can be applied to your own life this morning. He says, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Mark's gospel includes the phrase, and come, take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, Matthew 19 says, but when the young man heard that saying, can you imagine the picture at this moment? Jesus having delivered his hard words to the young man, and the picture shows a sad countenance. A walking away. A turning away from the king of the kingdom. And why? The text says, for he had great possessions. He wasn't willing to rid himself of the one thing in the way. He was concerned about eternal life, but he wasn't concerned enough to obediently walk as Jesus called him to walk. He asks the question about eternal life, great question. But when he gets the answer, he's not willing to walk in obedience. Church, how often is that the case with you and me? 
We're asking questions and we see in this word that the word reveals the answers to our deepest questions. And yet upon finding out the answers to the questions, we still walk our own way. Perhaps we're not too much unlike this rich man after all. Kingdom life makes lifelong demands on all of us. Lifelong demands. For the rich man, it was his possessions. And maybe it's that for you too. Perhaps for you it's something else. What are you holding on to right now? What are you holding on to? You're interested in spiritual things. You take part, perhaps, in spiritual conversations here on a Sunday. But you have yet to lay hold of Christ. You've yet to take up the cross and follow Jesus with your whole heart. Church, he he desires an undivided heart. Perhaps it's true that some are desiring a relationship with Jesus on their own terms. Picture Jesus looking at you and loving you. And picture what he might say to you. What might be the one thing you lack that is keeping you from having treasure in heaven? Let's be clear, your response is urgent. The rich man walked away. Are you going to obey the king of the kingdom or continue walking your way? See, this kingdom slide is not done. Slide number two, it's not done yet. You get the idea that Jesus is still watching this young man walk away into the distance as he speaks to his disciples, taking it all in. Verse 23 and 24. I picture Jesus watching this young man walk away and his disciples are here and he's speaking now to his disciples beginning in 23. He says, assuredly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now these words, they stir up the disciples and it leads them to ask a question. Notice the question that they ask. Who then can be saved? You see, the disciples associated the kingdom of heaven with being saved. Are you seeing this? There's a question that comes on the back end of Jesus' encounter with the rich man. The disciples are stirred and they're astonished and they're wondering. And the question that comes forth is, who then can be saved? Of all the people, surely this man who had a lot of things, surely he's a candidate. They want to know who then, who gets in. Jesus was asked in verse 16 about eternal life. And he brings it back under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. Salvation, eternal life. Church, these matter in the kingdom of God. Right? They matter. They're very important, very significant. Eternal life is offered and available to all through the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is pressing in on some of you here today, perhaps. 
The disciples were wondering about the kingdom requirements of being saved in light of this wealthy young ruler's portfolio. He had a lot of things and he didn't get in. I I wonder then who gets in. But Jesus looked at them. Recall that Mark's gospel shared with us that Jesus looked at the rich young ruler. Now Jesus is looking at the disciples after their question. And he says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, the kingdom of God operates by the king's rules. He's the one in charge. Salvation, eternal life, the things spoken of right here in the text, they are submitted under the authority of the king. He is the one who offers salvation. He is the one who extends eternal life. You can't purchase them. Nor can you bargain for them in exchange for some merit of your own. Doesn't work that way. They're gifts of the king. With men, this salvation is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Even the salvation of a poor, wretched sinner who has nothing to bring to the king. But the Bible tells us that a broken and contrite heart will do. That will do. He will not despise such a thing. You see, with God, all things truly are possible. And praise the Lord for his kindness. Praise the Lord for his mercy toward you. Look how the slide ends. Peter speaks up. He says, see, we've we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? As I I view and look at the, the picture of Peter addressing Jesus, I wonder if Peter was thinking back to the time in his own life when he was in the fishing boat, when he was taking care of the family business with his brother Andrew. Jesus comes along and Jesus changed everything. Blessing him, remember, with all that fish. The boats were about to sink. Remember the story. And then Jesus called him to a lifetime of catching men. Follow me. Jesus said, and in Matthew 4, 22, the text says that immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I wonder if Peter, watching that rich young man walk away, was confronted with his own encounter with Jesus. The situation prompted Peter to inquire further. This rich man walked away and and he still has his possessions We've left all and followed you. What is there there for us? You kind of see where Peter's question might have come from. How how you arrived at such a question in the moment as he's watching this man walk away. From Jesus, the king of the kingdom. And Jesus communicates both a present and a future reward for following him. Verses 28 and 29 speak to that. The key phrase in the text in verse 28 is, You who have followed me. You who have followed me. Speaks to what we've talked about on many occasions about being doers of the word and not simply hearers only. You who have followed me. Here's what you will receive. Verse 29 speaks to a key motivation. Everyone who's left houses, brothers, fathers, mother, wife, children, lands for my name's sake. That's the motivation. 
Has that been done for his name's sake? See, the reward there is, is mentioned at the end. Shall receive. What shall you receive? A hundredfold. That sounds wonderful. That's not all. And eternal life. And I'll pause right there because I want you to see and ask the question. Do, do you see the value of spiritual questions? The rich man asked about eternal life and Jesus is still teaching about it. He brings it out in the reward. Eternal life is one of these rewards. I don't want you to miss the principle at the end of the chapter. Verse 30. But many who are first will be last. And the last, first. Now we know throughout scripture and especially in the gospels that there are these sinners and tax collectors who are around Jesus and and they're getting in, and the Jews are jealous of these folks because they too are having an audience with Jesus. And yet we see the Bible declares pretty clearly, and we read this in Romans. Paul talks about his heart is that all Israel would be saved. And we see that in the meantime, Israel has been stumbling over the stumbling stone. They've been granted all these promises, all these wonderful words of God, and yet they failed to see the Messiah. They failed to see who Jesus really is. We see as we'll get to this summer, the account of the Gentiles being grafted in. Peter speaking in Cornelius' home. There were some things that, that the Jewish people just didn't like. Didn't think it was right. Didn't think it was fair. The principle here in verse 30 of chapter 19 is not simply a principle that Jesus is putting out there in the air to allow them to guess what he means by that. He's going to follow up and teach about it. But I do believe when he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. We've covered two slides in this slideshow of the kingdom. And I believe that the first slide, the slide of the children, the children back then and even today, a lot of folks have a very low view of children. They are the last. And we see a picture of the rich man, this one who has great possessions. And he, in many ways, is one who's held up to be first. And so we see, even contextually, there's been a picture of the last and a picture of the first. In chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Is it possible that the kingdom of God takes the first and puts them last? Is is it possible that in God's kingdom, the last are first? That seems so upside down, Jesus. Turn to the next slide. Kingdom life, slide number three. Parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus takes the principle in Matthew 19, 30, and he's now teaching a parable to explain that principle. Look at Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, this, this third slide is a picture of Jesus telling a parable with the disciples gathered around him. The parable is instructive for how to view God's kingdom. It's instructive for how to view God's kingdom. Through what lens are you viewing God's kingdom? 
Are you viewing God's kingdom only through what you know to be true from the world around you? Or are you informed of God's kingdom by faith, being fully convinced that what he's promised, he's able to perform? Romans chapter 4, verse 21. The landowner hires an early morning work crew. And after agreeing on the set wage for their work, he places them in the vineyard to work. The landowner goes into the marketplace at the third hour, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour, each time finding additional laborers, and each time agreeing upon a wage, putting them in the vineyard to work. The parable gets interesting as evening approaches. If you look at verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last first. Now, the landowner directs the steward to pay the laborers for the work. That's, that's not the, the difficult part of the text. They deserve their wage. They've been working. The difficult part of the text enters in when it says, begin paying them with the last first. Look at verses 9 and 10. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, in other words, when those came who were hired last, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. If we were to have an object to go along with this slide, it would be a pair of glasses. And the question comes, through what lens are we viewing the kingdom of God? And right here we see a group of folks, these early morning workers. They received their denarius. By the way, they agreed to receive that denarius. But I want you to listen in the text as to how the first workers respond. And when they received it, their denarius, they complained, they grumbled against the landowner. Saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have been born the burden in the heat of the day. Do you see the picture of these early morning workers, these first workers? Viewing a picture of this conversation that they're having with the landowner, I, I picture a bunch of hot and sweaty folks from a long day of work complaining about the situation right there in front of the landowner. If we could place a caption below that picture, it might just read, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I would imagine as you sit in the chair this morning, you too would probably be on the side of the, the workers, those early morning workers, and you too maybe are trying to figure out, well, Jesus, they got a point here. I mean, they worked longer. They should have gotten more. You read such a parable and you can relate to these first hour workers. And yet that's not what happens in the text. It doesn't happen the way that you think it ought to happen. The guys who worked one hour received the same wage as those who'd been there all day. And so everything within you may be crying out as it was with those early morning workers. It's not fair. You might be inclined to side with those folks. But what is Jesus' point in the parable? And what does this parable have to say about the kingdom of heaven? 
You see, the lens through which you view the parable makes all the difference. The kingdom of heaven operates on a different plane, a different way of understanding. What you begin to see in this parable is that worldly life and kingdom life are much different. One cries out, it's not fair, and the other simply says, grace. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. There's some wonderful questions that the landowner himself asks. But after asking some of those questions, I want you to look at how Jesus ends the parable. Verse 16. So, the last will be first, and the first last. See, this points you back to the principle in Matthew 19, verse 30. The parable is explaining the principle and revealing a significant truth about God's kingdom. How is it that the last can be first and the first last? Only by grace. Grace. You see, because not a one of you, myself included, not a one entered the kingdom of God because of God's fairness. Can we see this this morning? Had that been the case, each one would be destined for hell. Because the Bible does say that the wages of sin is what? Death. What I really deserve because of my sin is death. But God demonstrates his own unique love toward us in sending Jesus, the king of the kingdom. And while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I didn't deserve it. The Bible says that in Adam, all died. We can trace this all the way back. It's not simply about my own sin. No, there's a root to my own sin, and it goes all the way back over here to Adam. Romans chapter 5 tells us that. Through that one man, sin entered. Death spread to all men because all sinned. But we see an amazing thing there. When we understand our sin, how how then can we cry out, it's not fair, when someone else receives the blessing of the landowner? If not for grace, I would still be laboring for this life only. And what a pitiable life it would be. If only in this life, there's hope. You see, in that same Romans 5 passage, it shows me and tells me that in Christ, through one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Look at the next slide. Kingdom life, slide number 4, chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Jesus is pointing toward the days to come. If I, if I had a picture here, I would, I would show you... Two things. It would be a picture of the cross and it would be a picture of the empty tomb. The cross and the empty tomb. This is a picture of Jesus. He's walking along the road with his disciples. He's about to speak of his departure. Now for the third time in Matthew's gospel. And he's pointing toward his betrayal. The involvement of the chief priests and the scribes handing him over to death. And the Gentiles crucifying him. There's also mention of the third day. He's going to rise. In many ways, this is a summary statement in the text. 
a reminder of where Jesus is going, but does it not also connect perfectly with the other kingdom life slides in the text? I mean, what is kingdom life built upon if not the death and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ? Core doctrines of Christ's death and resurrection are being submitted right here. The text presents itself in a very informal manner as they're walking along the road, but the content and one's response to the content is necessary in this kingdom of God. You see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God ignoring the cross of Christ in the empty tomb. That eternal life spoken of earlier, your salvation, these doctrines cannot be understood apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at the next slide. Kingdom life slide number five. Chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. We see Zebedee's mother and sons coming to Jesus. And, you know, the, the, the picture here, if, if you were to take two chairs, and this is the picture that came to mind as I'm reading this, you know, and you, you know where I'm going with these two chairs in light of the story, in light of the account. She's requesting something of Jesus. Requesting. And by the way, this is, this is a picture that, that, that really makes me, me cringe after, after viewing the other four kingdom slides. And you come to this one. Zebedee's mother comes with her two sons, James and John. And, and you see the picture. She comes to Jesus kneeling, desiring to ask Jesus a question. She says this, Grant that my two sons may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Let me ask, as we think and consider about kingdom life, does, does, does kingdom life function according to one's standing in life, one's position? Is, is kingdom life about having the right credentials or position of authority? You see, once again, the slideshow found in the text, is instructive for how to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus says that such position in my kingdom is not for me to select. That is reserved for my father's choosing. And in about this time, the other disciples catch wind of what's just happened. And look what they brought along with them in this picture. As we see it in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24. They too seem to bring along their it's not fair lenses. Right? Not fair. They were displeased. They were grumbling. They were complaining. And you get the idea that, that this group is kind of exchanging some barbs back and forth. The disciples of Jesus having a conversation about, oh, I can't believe you just asked that question. I can't believe you were doing that without us knowing. I can't. Can you picture the conversation? See, the text says they were displeased when they found out that the Zebedees were trying to monopolize the seats next to, to Jesus. They wanted it for themselves. Self-seeking? In the midst of all the fuss, you get the picture that Jesus gathers everyone together. You get the picture that more teaching is needed here by Jesus to help with their understanding. Amen? 
And there are times in our life, too, when I'm sure Jesus is... Man, that brother needs some extra teaching. That sister just seemed... She just... Man, she's not getting it. I need to help her here. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. And he says in 25, in the first part of 26, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be. It shall, be, shall not be so among you. So we need to understand here, kingdom life, it operates on a different plane than the world. He says, you're familiar with the rulers of the Gentiles. You see how they lord it over others. Yet this lording it over is not the way to lead others. It's not the way of leading in the kingdom of God. But whoever desires to become great. Zebedee family, listen up. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first, we've talked a little bit about being first and last so far. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, kingdom life is not about climbing a ladder of corporate success, but about being a servant. Kingdom life is not about positioning yourself for that next promotion. It's not about snuggling close to a certain network of people thinking you've arrived now that you know them. Kingdom life, if you desire to be first, it takes the form, Jesus says, of being a slave. I'm sure they were listening to that and going, what? Yes, and in fact, this kind of life is likened to Jesus himself and his purpose for coming to earth. You see, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. A ransom. He bought you. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen? He's done some great things. He's bought you. You've been purchased. Look at the last slide. Kingdom life, slide number six. Two blind men receive their sight. The object here I would just put forth for you would be Hands. We'll see where this comes into play in the, in the text. And this is a great final slide. Two men, two blind men. They hear that Jesus is passing by along the road. And they cry out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And the multitude that's traveling with Jesus warn them that they should be quiet. It sounds a lot like what happened back in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, when those disciples rebuked the children who were coming to Jesus. The blind men cry out once more, and Jesus stands still and calls out to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Verse 34. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. I believe that these two blind men are also in the camp just as the children of those who may be considered last. You see, the slides of the text, these six slides, they reveal several unworthy recipients in God's kingdom. These children, those 11th hour workers. 
servants and slaves that Jesus refers to. Blind men. Each of the pictures reveal kingdom life and show clearly how God's kingdom operates. There are six slides of kingdom life. And what do you take away from these slides? I believe before we close this text, it would be important to just get some handles. That's all, that's all I'm going to give you, some handles, some quick handles on these texts. Slide number one, faith, faith. Will you exhibit the childlike faith needed to enter this kingdom of God? And not only to enter, but to live and operate in this kingdom by faith. Slide number two, surrender. Are you willing to surrender the possessions that serve as your snare that you might gain Christ? The song, All to Jesus, will you surrender that you might gain the kingdom of God. Slide number three, grace. Are you going to view life from the perspective of it's not fair or amazing grace? Remember, you didn't deserve to be chosen by God as one of his children. By grace, you have been saved, the Bible says. Slide number four, gospel. Are you each day thanking the Lord for his death and resurrection? Do you rejoice daily over the kingdom life afforded in the gospel of Christ Jesus? Slide number five, service. With Christ as the picture, do you see that the kingdom of God is predicated on serving others, of thinking of others' interests, and ultimately laying down your life for others? Six, compassion. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. As you, as you travel the road of life, are, are you going to stand still long enough to extend a hand to others? The text says Jesus stood still. He heard their cry. Will the mercy shown to you in Christ lead you to follow him the remainder of your days? Church, the slideshow is completed, but... For the sake of God and His kingdom, I I call you to hear the words of the Scripture. The first recorded words, in fact, in Mark's Gospel of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, I read 14 and 15. Now after John, John the Baptist, after he was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. Much of the Old Testament, the prophets, had been about pointing toward this kingdom yet to come. And the kingdom fulfillment was going to be in and through the person of Jesus Christ. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Church, the Bible tells us that we are now in the last days. Christ has ascended where he sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. The Bible says there has been a day set aside for his return. Church, I would want you to know that his unshakable kingdom shall not fail. 
repent and believe the good news. I pray that you might be pictured in God's kingdom. And know that each one here, each one, would have his name written in that book of life. Amen? Let's pray. That day of wrath, that dreadful day, when heaven and earth shall pass away, what power shall be the sinner's stay? How shall he meet that dreadful day? When shriveling like a parched scroll, the flaming heavens together roll, when louder yet and yet more dread swells the high trump that wakes the dead. Lord, on that day, that wrathful day, when man to judgment wakes from clay, Be thou the trembling sinners, stay, though heaven and earth shall pass away. Father, I pray that in Christ, that Christ himself would be our everlasting all. I pray that to Christ we would look. On Christ we would call. We see in your word, he will, our every want supply. In time and through eternity. And soon will the Lord my life appear. Soon shall I end my trials here. Leave sin and sorrow and death and pain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Soon will the saints in glory meet. Soon walk through every golden street and sing on every blissful plain to live as Christ and to die is gain. Father, thank you for the good news of your kingdom. Thank you for these six slides, these pictures in the text that reveal to us much about kingdom life. I pray, Father, we would take these words to heart, that we would walk in obedience to them. Father, your spirit, I pray, would teach us to apply these truths even yet today. Thank you for your wonderful words of life. And thank you most of all for Jesus, the one who bought us, redeemed us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.